The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. You know the term grassroots? It always seems like salt of the earth, like the people who are really getting things done. And we're going to be celebrating some of those grassroots people and grassroots activism today in the beginning segment of this program. After the break, we will be talking with Katie Sanchez, co-founder of Be Free Honey. And right now, I and I am, I am Victoria Moran, your host for this program, am very pleased to be introducing Don Anthony. He is communications director with the Animal Rights Foundation of Florida, and he is a 28-year vegan. Welcome, Don. Thank you. It's nice to be on the program with you. It's wonderful to be with you. You know, before the show, you said hello, and I said, oh, my gosh, you've been in radio. (laughs) And you said, yeah, for 30 years. Only 30 years, that's all. Yeah. That voice is is such a gift. So, how did you get from radio, or in addition to radio, to animal rights? Well, I was on the air in South Florida for 30 years, and uh, I I was a volunteer with the Animal Rights Foundation of Florida. And when my radio career abruptly ended, as it does for most people in the business, (laughs) thanks to one of the big uh, companies, you you have to move on. You have to do something else. And and since I was already a volunteer with the Animal Rights Foundation of Florida, it was kind of only natural that I kind of moved into the communications director job. And I get to speak to people with you. I get to uh, speak to the media when we uh, do protests and demonstrations and uh, all kinds of things like that. 
Well, that's wonderful. And what you do, it's it's just so terrific. I have been immersing myself in your website and your Facebook page this morning. So 28 years ago, when you and I were still fairly new at all this, if one were to join a, a local or a state animal organization, chances are there weren't going to be many vegans there. How different is that today? Well, veganism is really taking off. Uh, I, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but it's uh, it's gotten a lot higher over the last few years, and uh, a lot of uh, uh, millennials and people in the, some of the younger gen- younger generations are uh, becoming vegan a lot earlier. I waited till I was thirty three, only because I didn't know any better. Uh, but I've been vegan for twenty eight years now, so that kind of gives you a clue as to how old I am. <laughs> Uh, but there's there's a lot of stuff that's available now that wasn't available before. Um, you have uh, if you're going to go vegan, it's very easy now because uh, if you've seen Gardein products in any supermarket, they have chicken strips and beef tidbits and chipotle chicken and pulled pork, whatever that is, and battered fish fillets <laughs> like you get at the fast food restaurants and crab cakes and a whole bunch of different burgers. Uh, different restaurants also have different, uh, burgers available now. Uh, 28 years ago, if you walked into a restaurant and you said you were vegan, first of all, they didn't know what the word meant. And when you explained it to them, no dead animals, no animal parts, no dairy, no honey, no eggs, nothing like that, they would always, uh, kindly say, well, we'll steam you some vegetables. How about, how about some steamed carrots? You know, <laughs> that's not a meal. But they have uh, the Beyond Burger at a lot of restaurants, the Beast Burger, the Impossible Burger. There's all kinds of different foods available for vegans at almost any restaurant. And uh, there are a lot of different uh, restaurants that specialize in uh, vegan cuisine now. So it's a, it's a lot easier. And there's everything you need at a grocery store, which there wasn't a few years ago. You can also uh, join Facebook pages dedicated to being vegan. So if you're just beginning to go uh, to become a vegan uh, you won't feel so alone if you're you, if you're the only vegan in your family you won't feel so isolated you'll get a lot of hints and some encouragement from a, a wide range of people all over the country and all over the world on those vegan facebook pages so it's a lot easier now to become a vegan than it was before yeah, that's really true. You're reminding me of uh, back in the mid-90s when I married my wonderful husband, who is now a very vegan and animal activist and, and all the rest. But he was just kind of new, just moving into being vegetarian, and, and his children were not. And I remember how difficult it made the, the blending family thing that every time they ordered pizza we had to get a cheeseless pizza and feel really deprived. And now, of course, we could have cheese in our pizza, but it would be vegan cheese. So, yeah, there's, there are, most pizza joints have, uh, I shouldn't say that, most pizza stores, most pizza restaurants have yeah. uh, either follow your heart cheese or uh, Daya cheese that they put on their pizza now. Uh, and if they don't offer it yet, they, they will soon. Yeah, it's very cool. So why do you think veganism has grown so much in the past 10 years? Um, probably, I would say in one word, I would probably say the Internet. More people are seeing videos of the way animals are raised, the way they're butchered, how horrific it is, how much pain and suffering they go through. Uh, people are becoming more compassionate. And uh, it's not an odd thing anymore like it was 20 or 30 years ago. Everybody in every family knows of a vegan or a couple of vegans. 
when you go to restaurants, they have uh, vegan items on the menu specifically marked out. It's become a lot more commonplace, and there's a lot more food that you pass by in the grocery store that's vegan. So you're, you're seeing it all the time. You are indeed. Now, you use the word butchered, and this is Main Street Vegan Show, and it's very safe. But I want to ask you, as someone who spent a lot of time in the media, would you have used that term on, let's say, the Today Show? What, butchered? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. And I would even explain it a little bit more by saying that I no longer, once I saw how these animals are treated and how they're killed, I would no longer wanted to be uh, subsidizing that with money. There's no need for me to have either a cow or a pig or a chicken to be hung up by their hind leg and have their throat slit and have them suffer in agony like that uh, until they're dead. There's no need for that. I can eat delicious, healthy food with no guilt, and when you are not eating dead animal corpses or carcasses, you're also, not only is the guilt removed, but most of the saturated fat is removed and all of the cholesterol is removed because I'm sure, as you know, vegan food has zero cholesterol and almost no saturated fat. Those are the two things that clog your arteries and give you heart attacks and strokes. So if you eliminate the cholesterol and you come close to eliminating all the saturated fat, you won't, uh, there are no guarantees in life, but you have, instead of a 50-50 chance of having a heart attack or stroke, you'll only have a 5% chance of having a heart attack or stroke. So it's, uh, the, the health aspect is much better, but it, uh, that was not the reason I became vegan. That was just the icing on the vegan cake. The exactly. reason I became vegan was that of concern for animals. So right. It uh, and works out very well for yourself. It works out for the animals, and it's much better for the environment, too. Everybody wins. For sure. <laughs> for sure. And I, I asked you that because someone asked me that very question this weekend, and I gave the exact same answer that you did. It's the Internet. We can see what is business as usual on a factory farm in a slaughterhouse, and hundreds of thousands of millennials want nothing to do with that. And I was told that I shouldn't use words like slaughterhouse. <laughs> So um, thank you. Thank you for that backup from 30 years of radio and nearly 30 years of, of animal rights. <laughs> so you, you have some information about milk and dairy that you want to share. Yeah. When you first go vegetarian, that's usually what people do. They don't go vegan right away. They go vegetarian first. And their thought process is, well, you know, if I drink milk or I eat eggs, they're not really killing the animals for that. Well, you know what? Guess again. That's all part of the livestock industry. All the suffering is the same. When it comes to uh, milk, uh, what they do is they artificially inseminate cows over and over and over again. As soon as the baby calf is born, they separate that uh, baby from the mother. They drag the baby cow away, the calf, and, uh, of course, the calf is screaming. The mother is screaming for, the, uh, for her offspring, and they separate them. What they do is they put the calf in a, in a little stall. He becomes a veal calf, and the milk that he's supposed to get is stolen, and that's what becomes ice cream, butter, dairy, milk, and all the rest of that. We're not supposed to be drinking milk past infancy. We're the only species in the world that has convinced ourselves that we need to drink the milk of another species, and we need to drink it beyond infancy. You would never see a full-grown cow drinking from his mother anymore. You would never see a full-grown any animal drinking uh, from the mother anymore, nursing throughout life. doesn't happen. Or 
drinking the milk of another species. It's, it's totally unnatural. But the dairy industry has us brainwashed into thinking milk is what we need when we don't. A lot of people, the, the, the vast majority of people on this planet are lactose intolerant. So what do they do? They take pills or they buy a special kind of milk that lets them eat dairy anyway and trick their body. When in, instead, what they should do is avoid the thing. It's, it's not meant for people. It's not meant for human consumption. Cow's milk is not meant for human consumption. It's just that simple. It's so true. And it's very interesting to see that um, milk consumption is down in the U.S., but um, the government is trying to get people to eat more cheese. Uh, there's some kind of subsidy going on about extra cheese uh, for the pizza at a popular pizza place. So, you know, I, I think it's tough out there, starting to be tough for animal agriculture, and that's just fine because it's been tough for the animals for a long time. And what do you want to share with us about eggs? Well, uh, when it comes to eggs, uh, egg lay- uh, chickens that are made to be egg layers are kept in cages all their lives. They have their lives manipulated because what they do is they... Uh, they force molt, they keep them in the dark for a certain period of time, they stop feeding them for a period of time to uh, force their bodies into reproducing all over again to make the cycles faster. The eggs are taken away or they just uh, fall down a chute and they, uh, they, they never become uh, chickens because they're, they're not fertile to begin with. But they, uh, what they do is they, they just keep taking them away. They make these hens, these egg layers, live in cages their whole lives. Once they're not producing enough and not profitable anymore, then they kill them and they become, uh, you know, wings and legs and whatever else they sell them as body parts. When it comes to uh, chicks that are born, what they do is they take the uh, females and they make them become egg layers or broilers, as they call them. And the males, they throw through a chute like a, a garbage disposal and they're chopped up alive. There's millions of male chicks that are killed alive like that because they're useless to the industry. And so if you think you're not harming animals by eating eggs or by drinking milk, that's, that's, a, that's a lie that you've told yourself to feel better because it's all part of the, uh, it's all part of the livestock industry. Mm. And, of course, we've been told those lies as truth um, well, all our lives. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I if, could... you, if, you look at, if you look at dairy products in the store, they all have pictures of happy cows on the uh, – mm-hmm. The, uh, on the outside of the body. There's no such thing as a happy cow when the baby is taken away and they're screaming to be with their baby and the milk is stolen from their baby and put into these uh, products. It's completely unnatural, it's cruel, and I don't want to have any part of it, and that's why I don't pay for it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff available now. There's soy milk, there's uh, cashew milk, there's, uh, uh, you know, from all kinds of different sources, rice milk, and so there's no need for dairy anymore. Exactly. Now, I want to talk a little bit about local activism and, and regional okay. activism state, statewide. How does that differ? Like when somebody is looking to maybe make a donation to a big national, international organization versus a local organization, where does the money go? What's going on at that more local level? Well, with the Animal Rights Foundation of Florida, first of all, <laughs> we don't... Um we don't, uh, our, our president, Nancy Alexander, doesn't take a salary. Secondly, all of the money goes into the projects and the, uh, the things that we do. And uh, we deal with only issues 
that pertain to animals in Florida. In other words, we don't deal with the uh, the fur industry or the seal clubbing or uh, dog meat industry in uh, the Korea. We don't deal with anything like that. We deal with animals that have to do with Florida. And uh, that's that's what we concentrate on, and that's where the money goes. That's where we concentrate our efforts. So yesterday I noticed on your website something was going on in the Florida House of Representatives. Uh, they wanted mm-hmm. to ban municipalities from being able to ban the sale of puppies. How did that go? Well, it it went very successfully just yesterday. We were on pins and needles, but it worked out in the animal's best interest. Let, Let me give you a little bit of backup. We have been working for the past 10 years with a spectacular commissioner from the city of Hallandale who's made it her life's mission to shut down puppy mills. Puppy mills are these uh, horrendous mass breeding facilities where female dogs are kept in cages all their lives. They're so neglected that when you see them, a lot of times you can't even recognize what kind of dog they are. They have pus coming out of their ears. They may be blind. They, uh, it's horrible. And they're just they're breeding machines to the industry. They breed them over and over and over again. The animals are inbred, and consequently, the puppies that come from them which are sold at stores, uh, frequently are defective or sick, and sometimes, uh, very frequently, a lot of the people who buy them don't know that they're getting into a situation where the puppy looks happy and healthy, but a few weeks later they end up with thousands of dollars in vet bills. So it's a matter of consumer fraud. It's a matter of uh, animal cruelty. It's just horrific, and uh, we have passed about 60 different ordinances in cities all over the state. What the state Florida legislator wanted to do was to overturn those laws because they're getting a lot of money from lobbyists and from one of the big uh, pet shop chains. Uh, But luckily, a lot of activists spoke at the meetings and called their representatives and senators, and uh, that language was taken uh, taken out of a couple of bills the last couple of days. So it looks like we may be safe for a while, but I'm sure they're going to try again next year. Yeah, (laughs) eternal vigilance in the animal rights world for certain. And I recommend that everybody uh, take a look at the website, ARFF.org, Animal Rights Foundation Florida, even if you don't live in Florida, and click on the little tab about wild animals, because there are some wild creatures down there in Florida who are so fascinating and so adorable and, of course, so pursued by humans who just don't get it that beings are beings and uh, deserve to have a life. Just in the last couple of minutes here, Don, tell me about one of these wild creatures. Well, there's uh, there's always a problem in South Florida with Muscovy ducks. These ducks uh, have been here for hundreds and hundreds of years, but they are not native. And so slaughtering them, as long as it's done in some kind of a humane way, is actually legal. We don't think it should be. Uh, people don't like them because they walk around condos. They may, uh, you know, they're not inside the condos. <laughs> On the sidewalk outside, they may defecate. It's a little messy, but there's really not any any problem with disease. What we do is we have a, a full-time person, uh, kind of a duck lady, who goes around and, and checks for eggs where they hide them in uh, condos and in uh, outside of uh, buildings and shopping centers. And when the time is right, when you see a female with a bunch of eggs there, it could be 15 or 20 eggs, uh, when she's finished laying all of them, what you can do is you just pick them all up, you refrigerate them, it stops them from forming. And at that point, 
they look just like eggs that you get in the supermarket. So that's, that's the uh, humane way to uh, slow down the, uh, the duck population. So they don't call trappers who suffocate them or bludgeon them or, or kill them in some horrific way. Yes. Oh, we just went through something like that here in my building. They decided that some squirrels were being problematic, and, and they said, um, don't worry, we, we might not catch them really quickly, but they'll be in humane traps until the exterminators can get here. And I wrote to the building management and said, there, there are better ways to, to deal with this. And I recommended wildlife rehabbers, including my own daughter. And, and he wrote back and said, we didn't really mean exterminator. And I was thinking, yeah, that's that thing, is the truth just slipped out. <laughs> Truth just slipped out. Well, Don, bless you and and your organization and Nancy and all that you guys are doing in Florida. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, the website is arff.org on Facebook. They are Animals Florida. Take a look. All the best. And um, thanks also to Diane Ray here at Unity Media Network for introducing us. Shout out to Diane. Oh, I've known Diane for a long time in the radio business. Thanks for having me on the show. You are so welcome. All the best, and everybody else, stay with us. We're going to learn all about Be Free, honey. Stay with us. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. What got you started on your spiritual path? Minister and radio host Paul John Roach says his path began when he heard George Harrison of the Beatles talking about Hindu philosophy and meditation. Paul John writes about it in the current edition of Unity Magazine. And don't miss the interview with Eben Alexander, the neurologist whose near-death experience led him to write Proof of Heaven. It's all in the September-October edition of Unity Magazine. Go to unity.org and click on Publications. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. 
Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find my God. Confucius said that to be wronged is nothing unless you continue to remember it. If we can let our past remain in the past, we are not compelled to endlessly reenact it. If we seek to understand the situations in the other person's life and put forth the effort to walk a mile in his shoes, we may be less quick to take offense at what may be directed toward us. Understand that forgiving does not mean excusing, but dwelling on past slights or offenses can never help us grow. Unforgiveness always diminishes us. An African proverb says, the one who forgives ends the quarrel. You can be a powerful agent for healing. Let go of old hurts. Let the past be the past. Forgive. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Be sure to grab the latest issue of Unity Magazine and read the interview with Ram Das, the iconic spiritual leader of the 60s. He's now focused on how to age consciously. Spiritual author Thomas Moore reflects on grumpy old men and women. And Barbara Bowen writes a touching story about her experience as a caregiver to her mother with dementia. To subscribe to Unity Magazine, go to unity.org and click on Publications. Did you know you can reach Unity's 24-7 prayer ministry online? You don't even have to give your name to know the prayers have begun for you or those you love. Someone has been praying around the clock at Silent Unity since 1890, and every request is taken into prayer for 30 days. Why not let us pray with you, too? To submit your prayer request to Silent Unity online, go to unity.org and click on prayer, or call 1-800-NOW-PRAY. Our words are one of the instruments with which we build our world. Everything is composed of energy in unique configurations of vibrations. Scientists tell us that sound vibrations affect physical matter. Think for a moment. What happens to your face and your body when you speak with joy, with concern, in anger, with excitement? A woman once described her feelings about the consoling comments of a friend. Your words reached out to me like a lifeline. Realizing how much you cared helped me know I didn't need to feel alone. When we recognize their power, we realize the wisdom of paying closer attention to the words we use and how we use them. Get into the habit of thinking before you speak. You'll never regret it. This Law of Life is brought to you by Unity. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Main Street Vegan program. One of the cool things for when you listen on the podcast is if something goes wrong, our brilliant engineer Jeff can fix it. So you're getting just a regular break, but the people who are listening live were actually here up close and personal 
with an extended break because we are having difficulty reaching Katie Sanchez from Be Free Honey. It's a very, very snowy day here. They're calling it storm of the century, although they say that every time it rains or snows. But gosh, Katie is out there in Minneapolis and it just might be the storm of the century. And that might be why we don't have her. Don't really know why, but it would sure be cool if somebody is listening live who would like to call in. Or otherwise, I'm just going to pontificate, which I don't mind doing at all. Uh, and yet, it's always fun to have a conversation. So if you'd like to have one with me, you can just call from anywhere on this planet. 816-347-5519. If you want to do a good deed today? Don't leave your favorite radio host or a radio host hanging. Uh, give a call. You know, you can really ask anything or talk about anything. Anything vegan, veg-related, animal health, fashion. We'll talk about all of it. 816-347-5519. And in the meantime, I'm just going to riff on the various things that are on my mind right now. Um, I do want to give you a note from my daughter, Adair. Those of you who have listened to this show for a very long time or who have gone back in the archives and listened to the earliest programs know that back in the beginning in 2012, my daughter, Adair Moran, who's the co-author with me of the book Main Street Vegan, was my co-host. And it was really fun and lots of banter. And then she just got to the point where it was, oh, gosh, mom, an hour every week talking to your friends. So she has gone on and does all of her other wonderful uh, vegan animal rights and entertainment-oriented uh, adventurous living. Um, but she did give me a bee-free honey tip since we thought we were going to be talking with the bee-free honey folks today. And that is that she has been using the ancho chili flavor of Be Free Honey to sweeten a hot toddy or a whiskey soda. Now, I am a teetotaler, so I would have no idea what it was like to have ancho chili, Be Free Honey in one's hot toddy or whiskey soda. But if you're somebody who thinks, oh, wow, that sounds good, then I offer the tip. Uh, always happy to bring up anything from my one and only biological daughter. She is a lifelong vegan. You know, we don't see very many of those more and more. Uh, in fact, a, a new vegan just came into the world this very morning. My uh, virtual assistant, Katie Barlow, out in California, gave birth this morning to her fourth child, a little boy named Bishop. So congratulations to Katie and to all your family. You know, there was a time when people used to worry. You know, they would say, okay, if you want to be vegan, that's all right. You do whatever you want, but you don't want to do that to a child. Well, what we have seen more recently is, oh, yeah, you really do. I remember interviewing Dr. Neil Barnard at one point, and he said, you know, in terms of prostate cancer prevention for one of the many cancers out there, if a man goes plant-based in adulthood, that appears to offer some degree of protection. But if a little boy has never had animal foods all his life, he is virtually 
ironclad protected against that particular disease and probably lots of others. So it's a good thing, whatever your age, wherever you are in life, to leave the animals off the plate and then eat all these amazing vegetables. Every day I'm finding out more extraordinary qualities that come in fruits and vegetables and wild foods and herbs and all these amazing foods that we eat every day and uh, make really, really yummy. Let's see. I have a note from our engineer, Jeff, that Katie Sanchez from Be Free Honey will be coming on shortly. And so that we don't cut any more into the time that she has, I'm going to tell you about her before she gets here. Uh, Katie and her partner, Melissa, at Be Free Honey are on a mission to save the bees and all pollinators one apple at a time. They love bees and believe that until we begin to have honest, forthright conversations, we cannot begin to solve the issues that we face regarding pollination and our food system. So Bee Free Honey, which you probably already know either as a customer or because you saw them on Shark Tank. Yes, isn't that cool? They make honey from organic apples. So it's honey with an apple tart twist. And um, absolutely yummy, wonderful to cook with, to use in its raw state. And I believe Katie's here right now. Katie? Hi, Victoria. How oh, are you? Wonderful. I'm <laughs> fabulous. How are you? Oh, my gosh. I'm uh, so good to be here. Thank you for having me. You are ever so welcome. So, golly, you made a mistake in the kitchen and came up with an amazing company. Tell us what happened. Oh, well, um, I was trying to make apple jelly. I was a novice at making apple jelly, and so I didn't read the directions. I was in a hurry, and I just wound up making what's now known as bee-free honey instead. I was watching (laughs) it cook, and I thought, this is not right, and um, I don't waste anything, so I decided I'm just going to can it and see what happens in the morning. And I looked, and it was just like honey. Now, were you vegan at this time? No, um, I wasn't. But I was um, I was working as a pastry chef for Whole Foods uh, Bakehouse. And um, my, my first thought was... Uh, because at the time, there were so few sweeteners for vegans, and I was making so many vegan uh, baked goods. And I thought, what a great gift I could give my fellow vegan bakers, was my first thought. And then the more I started learning about the decline in the honeybee and um, and what was happening in... Um, in beekeeping and the attributes, you know, children under one can't have honey and how many people had honey allergies, I started thinking, I wonder if I could actually make this a product. Well, and you certainly have, and you have all kinds of varieties now that are just so yummy that we're going to be talking about. But for people who are new to this, you know, some people say, okay, Oh my gosh, you vegans. Okay, I get the meat. I get the fish. I get the eggs and the dairy. But come on. And then they bring out silk and wool and honey. 
So what's the argument for and against? Well, I, I would just like to point out that honey is an argument within the vegan com- community itself. It's probably one of the most contested items out there for such a variety of reasons. Um, honey is, you know, supposed to be healthy and it's supposed to um, be this product that bees are making anyway, and it doesn't matter if we harvest it, and they make too much, and why not? And so, you know, there's a, there's, there's a lot behind the honey that, um, that, you know, people aren't seeing the full story. And what, um, one of the things that um, when people say, well, they're making it anyway, and there's too much of it, so why not take what they're not using? And what a lot of people don't understand is they're making too much because there are years of droughts and there are years of, um, you know, too much moisture where there aren't enough blooms, and that's their storage for future, for future consumption. That's their food um during times of bad weather and so yes they're making it but they're making it for a reason and um and it's supposed to be healthy and um what's not being understood is that a lot of the healthy or the honey that's out there isn't as healthy as you might hope it would be and there's just the the way beekeeping has changed the way bees are treated um, now compared to how it used to be, it's gone so far away from natural beekeeping that I think bees are probably one of the most abused animals out there. And I have read and, and watched documentaries that have taught me about not bees kept for honey in somebody's backyard, but bees shipped in giant trucks all over to pollinate, unfortunately, the foods that all of us vegans are eating. So what's up with that? So there's a huge difference between commercialized beekeeping and the hobbyist beekeeper or a smaller beekeeper. And and the and the sad fact is that we need beekeepers. Uh, we live in a society that we've created that makes it almost impossible for bees to live independently and and thrive. When bees make homes, um, it's frequently in someone's car engine that's just been sitting there or that you know in their roof or the side of the wall and there's not a lot of places for bees to go and there's not a lot of um, area that can support bees with nutrition so we do need beekeepers and you know that's the first thing we need to understand but we need beekeepers to treat them health healthfully right you know, to treat them with the respect 
they deserve. And so these commercialized beekeepers, they load thousands of hives, and every hive has thousands of bees, and they start in Maine for the blueberries, they go down to Georgia for the peaches, and they travel the country the entire year uh, pollinating the bees, you know, land. They're not the only, you know, truck that uh, puts their bees down. So if hive A is healthy, doesn't have mites, doesn't have um, any, you know, diseases or viruses going on, and um, hive B lands, well, if they're next to each other, hive A has now been cross-contaminated and infected, and um, they land, they eat one food for two weeks, and then they load them up, and they go on to the next grove. And what's happening is, as the truck is going, the bees are being exposed to every climate. Every time they land, um, you know, the pesticides they use for peaches are going to be different than the pesticides they use for blueberries. And so... Every time they land, they're exposed to another pesticide. Every state has different parasites, different um, molds, different diseases. And, you know, they're being exposed to every element. And then we're asking what's wrong with the bees. A natural life of a bee, the hive lands, it has a two to three mile radius where it pollinates, and then it goes back to its hive. And that's its life. We've completely uprooted that. And it's it's not a mystery why the bees are dying. It's just that we would have to change everything about our system, our agricultural system, how we um, think of bees and how we pollinate and our expectations as ex- as consumers in order to fix it. So why is it, Katie, that this shipping them around is supposedly necessary today? Is that there just there aren't enough wild flowers and crops that produce the kinds of nectar that bees need? I mean, it seems right. like 50 years ago you could have blueberries without shipping bees in from afar. So what's happening is, um, and this actually started... Um, I believe it started after World War One, where it used to be that if you had a farm, you had, um, you know, maybe an alfalfa field and you had um, trees where you grew some fruits and you had a vegetable garden and, you know, farmers grew what they needed to support their family or community. Now, when you drive through Iowa or the Dakotas or, you know, through farmland, you can drive for hours and see nothing but alfalfa or nothing but corn. And, um, you know, so bees, their nutritional needs are as complex as human beings. They need amino acids and vitamins, minerals. They need protein. I mean, to get a, a, a healthy diet for a bee, 
is really complicated and it needs a lot of different nutrients. So when you when you plant a hive down, that monoagricultural system is supplying a limited amount of nutrients for that bee for two weeks. So think about if you went flying and you you landed and for two weeks you ate the same thing and then left, landed, ate the same food but different. Think about doing that all year round and how you would feel. And that's basically the bee. And, you know, and some, and a lot of the beekeepers, they're harvesting the commercialized beekeepers, mind you. They're harvesting all the honey because there's not enough honey to meet demand. And so um, what they're doing is harvesting the honey, feeding the bees sugar water or corn syrup, and they're taking the um, pollen, uh, the bee pollen, because they can sell that as well. And then they're feeding the bees synthetic bee pollen. And that's what, and that's what feeds the larvae, the larvae of the hive. And so that's basically baby food. So when you buy the bee pollen, that's the bee's baby food. And then they feed the bees synthetic pollen, and they make pollen from that. Eventually, it's going to become where the bee pollen we're purchasing is from the synthetic bee, uh, synthetic pollen in some measure. I mean, it's just, it's a tragedy, and what people aren't hearing us saying is that we know that we need beekeepers and we want beekeepers, but what we're trying to, the message we're trying to promote is instead of, instead of trying to find these solutions like having drones pollinate or trying to find other species of bees, um, to do our pollination, instead of ruining other species or becoming a mechanical world with no life and love in it, why not change how we behave and make it better so we don't lose the bee? And we can do that because if we support an environment that supports the bee, we'll support all pollinators. And um, and one of the things we need to do is diversify our pollinators and diversify our agricultural system and, you know, plant in between the rows of whatever it is or on the boundaries and of whatever it is that, you know, that orchard or farm is harvesting so that we can diversify our our, our nutrients for the pollinators, diversify our pollinators so we're not reliant on one insect for our entire food crop, and then realize as consumers that um, we can't expect honey in unlimited quantities when it's naturally a seasonal product.
This is all so fascinating, Katie. In a couple of months, uh, we're also going to have a beekeeper on the program who is actually a vegan. And I know some people listening to this are saying, well, no, he's not because you can't be a, a vegan and consume honey. When I became vegan back in the early 1980s, the Vegan Society in England said that honey was left to um, individual conscience. Now I think they've changed that. But I still know vegans who will consume honey if they know the source, and of course, many others most um, who will not. And that brings us to Bee Free Honey, which is just a stellar product. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that your apple jelly didn't work out. So tell us about about the product and and what it's like and what we can do with it. Well, you you can use bee-free honey in any way you would use uh, bee honey in the same proportions, cooking and in baking. There's no exchange. Um, and, uh, and we have the original, which we consider our baking honey. And um, the we have mint where we steep fresh mint leaves. Uh, slippery elm soothes a sore throat, calms an upset stomach, and is FDA approved for those curatives. Um, and then we have um, uh, ancho chile. We steep whole anchos, and um, and then our our feather and our cap. The one that we're most excited about is our flower pollen infused bee free honey. Uh, we've basically been able to create a honey that matches the nutrition of raw bee honey and um, and still bypassing the bee. And our flower pollen that we use, uh, we use a combination of dried and raw flower pollen. And it, uh, we, because we're able to measure it, and it's pharmaceutical grade, we're the only honey on the market that has the nutrition of raw bee honey that's allergen-free, pharmaceutical grade, and uh, verified nutrition. So when you buy a bottle of bee honey, you're hoping that you're getting certain uh, nutrients in it, but you can't be sure because no beekeeper can or company can test every bottle to find out what nutrients are in that particular bottle based on what flowers the bee visited, because every pollen has a different nutrition profile, because we're able to add our pollen and custom blend it, we're able to tell you exactly what's in every single bottle of bee-free honey. Mm. Uh, That's really exciting, because I had used your product before you came up with the flower pollen-infused variety. And when I saw that you'd done that, it was just like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) There there is nothing impossible anymore. It was really exciting for me, because it was one of the last, um it was one of the last arguments that we were able to answer and so um you know the the last argument that we've uh, had with and i say argument in bunny quotes with um you know the 
the honey industry and um, national beekeepers, the commercialized beekeepers, we are very angry with us, and um, and that has been their their biggest sword to fight us with is the nutrition aspect. So we were we were really excited to be able to respectfully respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Katie, a lot of our listeners are people with small businesses, vegan businesses, and they would love to hear about the Shark Tank. Can you give us the three-minute version? Uh, oh, sure. Um, well, gosh, the Shark Tank was amazing. It was crazy. It was um, scary and exciting and um and it it really is they know nothing about you before you go in other than your name and they work really hard to keep it that way and um and you just we were in there almost 2 hours and uh they whittle it down to about uh, 5 minutes so uh a lot of what happens is not seen but uh, there's a lot that goes into it, so much more that goes into it than one could ever possibly imagine. And the vetting process is incredibly intense beyond just the application. Um, it goes for months and months, and so there's so much there's so much to it. It's a huge investment for the businesses, not just the sharks. Well, that's fascinating. So just now, we're down to just our last couple of minutes. I'm so sorry this has gone so quickly. But whether somebody is going to take the shark tank route, which is rare, or, or just some other way, what, in your opinion, is, is the key to a successful vegan business? You know, what I personally would say is that what... The, the mantra for business that I have is something that Denzel Washington said, and that's basically stay in the barbershop long enough, eventually you're going to get a haircut. <laughs> just you can't give up, and you, you have to keep – when you think you've tried everything, you haven't, there's something else. You just haven't found it yet. And uh, business business is hard. And they say it's like having another child, and it's not. It's a child that doesn't grow up on schedule, and it's a child that doesn't have a feeding schedule. And, and sometimes it eats constantly, and you have nothing to feed it. But like a child, you figure out a way to make things work. And you, if you're not invested in it beyond anything that you can think of, then you know, don't don't, because it's it it's just it's it gets to be so much bigger than you are. You have to be able to love it that much. So that's what I would say. Oh, that is beautifully put, Katie. Now, the product is Bee Free Honey, H-O-N-E-E, Bee Free Honey on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We will put all that on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. 
And just in our last couple of seconds, if the bees could talk to us today, what would they say? I, you know, um, be good to the earth so you can be good to us too, please. (laughs) If we help them, we help ourselves. Yeah, for sure. And they are in trouble and they need our help. They need our respect. And thank you so much for explaining their situation. I feel like I understand it better than I ever have. I relate to those bees being shipped hither, thither and yon because I'm not real crazy about traveling and I get to do it not in the back of a big old truck. So, Katie, thank you so, so very much. Sure, and I look forward to hearing your podcast with the beekeeper. Okay, that's that's going to be a controversial one, I'm sure. So thanks very much. Thanks to Unity Online Radio, to our other guest, Don Anthony, to our engineer, Jeff Comfort, and to you, our listeners. God bless you. Eat your veggies and some bee-free honey. What got you started on your spiritual path? Minister and radio host Paul John Roach says his path began when he heard George Harrison of the Beatles talking about Hindu philosophy and meditation. Paul John writes about it in the current edition of Unity Magazine. And don't miss the interview with Eben Alexander, the neurologist whose near-death experience led him to write Proof of Heaven. It's all in the September-October edition of Unity Magazine. Go to unity.org and click on Publications. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. truly understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting, no more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you're ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zander every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real.
A carpenter was working at a cathedral. He was laying tiles on the highest part of the roof and wasn't making an effort to do a good job. His foreman noticed the poor work and said, "You'll have to redo that portion of the roof and do it right." The carpenter asked why. No one's ever going to see these tiles way up here. The foreman answered, "God will see them, and God is very particular." Although other people may not see it, the universe is aware of your attitude. So are you. Your attitude affects every aspect of your life. If you change your attitude, you will change your life. Changing your thoughts helps change your actions and can result in positive changes in the world around you. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. At Metaphysical Rock 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, "Why did this happen to me?" A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, "How can I use this for good?" We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Reverend Paul Hasselbeck, Reverend Bill Holton, and Reverend Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time here on Unity Online Radio. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders. To help guide you on your way, if you are ready to stop playing small, join me for igniting the spark on the MindBodySpirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life. <laughs> 